This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening. This is Brother Matthew with the Ministers of the New Covenant Radio Broadcast. It's good to be back with you for another chance to get into our Father's Word. I love His Word. And just in case you missed last week's broadcast, we talked about how that sin is breaking Yahweh's law. And you can go to my website at ministersnewcovenant.org and you can listen to last week's broadcast. People have gotten an idea that fellowship with the Son of God means that you have some sort of mental recognition that He is real. It's been shortened down to about five minutes of your time and you can be saved. Just repeat these words after me many preachers say, and then people repeat the words and actually think that they are saved. I've witnessed to many people about certain doctrines that I believe and certain practices that I have chosen to follow in my spiritual walk, and I usually get this message from people. This is what people tell me. Well, Matthew, I just want to believe in Jesus. Or they'll say something like this. The Bible tells us to believe in Jesus, and I'm doing that. So you really should leave me alone. To such people, believing in Jesus means that they have him in their mind sometimes and that they sing about him at their church service once a week. Rarely do you find a person who realizes that believing in Yeshua, which is Jesus' original Hebrew name, means that you believe in the teachings of Yeshua. See, you cannot divorce Yeshua from his teachings. What he taught expresses his very heart and also his mind. What he expounded upon details for us who he really was. And if you're not a believer and a follower of the teachings of Yeshua, then you will never have salvation. You will never enter into the kingdom of Yahweh. You won't. You know, it's a fact that Yeshua was an avid observer of the law of Yahweh. Let me put it in a way that might be easier to understand for most people in the world. Yeshua kept the Old Testament commandments. He was very strict and meticulous at keeping those commandments. As a matter of fact, he never transgressed any commandment of Yahweh. The Bible is explicit in telling us that he knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5:21. In him is no sin, 1 John 3 verse 5. And that he is separate from sinners, Hebrews 7, 26. John 8, 29 tells us that Yeshua always does the things that please Almighty Yahweh. He kept Yahweh's law and he taught others to obey Yahweh's law. He was a faithful Israelite and a man who was devoted to his God and Father who is Yahweh Almighty. One of the plainest statements that Yeshua ever made about the law is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where he says this, reading out of the King James Version, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Our Messiah teaches here that we should not even think 
that his mission involved a destruction of the law or the prophets. That was not his purpose in coming. He explains that very clearly. And in light of such a clear statement, why do so many people not only think it, but proclaim it? You talk to people about this or that law, and it seems that one of the first things out of their mouth is something like, well, Jesus came and died, so now we are free in Christ. And if this statement had any truth in it, then it would have to mean that Yeshua's mission would have been to destroy the law. If his death destroyed the law, then that means his mission would have been to destroy the law. But rather, he has told us we shouldn't even be entertaining such thoughts. We should not think that he had come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill. Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky, not with the Bible, but with the minds of men. Some people I've talked to that know the verse in Matthew will respond by saying, I don't believe he came to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And their meaning in such a statement is a circumvention of the actual intent of the original statement. In their minds, the words fulfill actually mean to destroy, or at least something very close to it. When they say that Yeshua fulfilled the law, they are meaning that he fulfilled it, and thus it has been done away with. We do not need to worry about it anymore. Now, if the passage actually meant this, it would be self-contradictory. It would have Yeshua saying that he did not come to destroy the law, but rather to destroy the law. And that's completely nonsense. In order for the passage to make logical sense, we must understand the words fulfill and destroy to be opposites. He came to do A and not to do B. See, the word fulfill here does not have the sense of a prophetic utterance being fulfilled in the sense that the Messiah fulfilled all that the law and the prophets said about him. Now, do I believe that he fulfilled certain prophecies? Well, absolutely. But there isn't the slightest notion in the context of Matthew 5.17 that would lead us in such a direction. We instead find the context showing immediately before this verse in Matthew 5.14-16 through 16, that Yeshua is teaching his listeners that they are to be the salt and light of the earth and the world. They are to influence men in a righteous way. They are to be holy examples to others. Notice carefully that Yeshua is speaking of them being examples. He is telling them to let their light shine so that others might see their good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Go read Matthew five fourteen through 16. You'll see that it says that. Now, it is with this in mind that he then tells them not to think he has come to destroy the law. Now, what is the meaning here then? Well, they are to recognize that they must be obedient to the law and not think that he, as Yahweh's Messiah, is teaching them contrary to the law. Now, the meaning of the word fulfill here must be that he came to do the law or to obey the law and confirm the law. Uh, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament lists several definitions under the number one heading of the Greek word for fulfill, pleru, to make full, to fill, to fill up, to fill to the full, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally. I abound, I am liberally supplied, to flood, to fill, diffuse throughout one's soul. 
Now, do any of these definitions sound like something is getting destroyed? As a matter of fact, that same Greek word, pleru, translated fulfill in Matthew 5.17, is actually translated as fully preached in Romans 15, verse 19 in the King James Version. So we could translate Matthew 5.17b as, I have not come to destroy, but to fully preach the law and the prophets. See, any interpretation of the word fulfill, which places it as a synonym with the word destroy, has to be a false interpretation. We have to seek to understand Yeshua's words as those who first heard him speak understood them. They would have clearly understood him to be telling them, they were a Judah-Israelite audience, that they should obey the Torah, the law, and not think that his teachings were contrary to the Torah. Now, I want to cover something that is not as well known in consideration of the words destroy and fulfill. How else could we understand these words? What could they be saying? Well, he fulfilled the law in the sense that he accurately handled and interpreted the law. A lot of people don't realize that during the first century, it was common for people to listen to the teaching of various rabbis in the Judahite faith. And if a rabbi accurately interpreted the Torah, people would say that he fulfilled the Torah. But if a rabbi misinterpreted the Torah, he was said to have destroyed the Torah. Now this fits in perfection in the context of Matthew 5. Yeshua is teaching the people not to think he came to give a misinterpretation of the Torah, therefore destroy it, but rather to accurately teach them the Torah, therefore fulfill it. Now I think that that's important to understand in the vein of Matthew 5.17. So Yeshua then continues his words by saying the following in Matthew 5.18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now for starters, the word verily has the meaning of I am telling you the truth. The Greek word here is the word amen. It's where we get our English word amen. And when a preacher is preaching and someone in the congregation speaks out amen, the, the congregant is expressing that he believes the preacher is telling the truth. Uh, Yeshua goes on to speak of until heaven and earth pass away. Now let me ask you a question. Are heaven and earth still here? Well, of course they are. Now, we would do well to also note the words of Yeshua in Luke 16, 17, where he says, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Now, make sure to catch the potency of this statement of the Messiah. He is telling us that it would be easier to destroy the heavens and the earth than for one small stroke of the law to be destroyed. Now, I think in my mind, and I've laid awake at night in my bed thinking about trying to destroy the heavens, much less the earth, and I can't even imagine about accomplishing such a feat. But as impossible as that may seem, Yeshua makes his point by saying that it would be easier for a person to destroy the heavens and the earth than to destroy the smallest letter of the law of Yahweh. Now that's telling us in the plainest of terms that the law will not be destroyed. 
It's in perfect harmony with the law and the prophets. The latter part of Matthew 5.18 states in harmony with Luke 16.17 that not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all is fulfilled or accomplished. The word jot here is the Greek word iota and is of Hebrew origin. It refers to the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the yod. The word tittle is taken from the Greek word karaya, and it has to do with the horn-like curvatures of the Hebrew letters that made up the Hebrew words. Uh, lexicons give us the definition of an extremity, an apex, or a tip of a letter. Uh, the meaning here, then, is that not even the minutest portion of the law will pass until all is accomplished. Now, right now, someone might be wondering, well, what about when all is accomplished? Well, this question is asked because it assumes that once all is accomplished, then the law will pass away. And I would say that in one sense, this is accurate. In the final kingdom of heaven, there will exist no sin, no death. It will be a utopia for all of the residents. And if no sin exists, then it is obvious that there is no law existing. But does that mean that the kingdom will be lawless? Well, not at all. For we read time and time again of the kingdom being a lawful kingdom rather than a lawless kingdom. Scripture tells us that the new heavens and new earth will involve worship on holy days, such as new moons and Sabbaths, Isaiah 66, 22 through 23. Nothing that commits iniquity will be able to live in the kingdom, Matthew 13, 41. And everything that commits sin will be cast out, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. So Yeshua's words should be understood in Matthew 5, 18 to say that the law will continue right on up to the establishing of the kingdom, and then there will be a finality or culmination of righteousness, and wickedness will cease to exist. Now we might think, after we study verses 17 through 18 of Matthew 5, we might think that they only tell us that Yeshua kept the law and that it will not pass. But verse 19 makes it certain that Yeshua requires his listeners to fulfill the law as well. Now before we read verse 19, let me make a very important point. If your interpretation of verses 17 and 18 does not come to the conclusion found in verse 19, then your interpretation is wrong. Let's read verse 19. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you see the word therefore in the first sentence? I heard a preacher say one time, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. <laughs> well, in this case, Yeshua is telling us, based upon what I have just stated and proclaimed in verses 14 through 18 as we read them, Based upon that, the following is also true. Whoever of you breaks even the smallest of the commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom. But if you practice and teach them, you will be called great in the kingdom. Yeshua is saying that we must follow his example. We must practice and teach the commandments from the least to the greatest. We must keep the law of Yahweh. 
See, the righteousness of the law must be fulfilled by those who walk after the Spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 4. It really could not be any plainer. Now, in light of what Yeshua teaches here, let me make one more point that you have probably already thought of, either knowingly or unknowingly. The law that Yeshua spoke of in this particular text is none other than the law of the Old Testament. It's the law that we sometimes call the law of Moses. Now remember, there was no New Testament even written at the time that Yeshua was teaching. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, etc. would come along at a later time. Yeshua was not discussing any kind of new and improved law. Only the law that he had been taught to obey and follow even from childhood. The law of Yahweh through the mouth of Moses. Now, if you have a desire to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must practice and teach the commandments of Moses, which are none other than the commandments of Yahweh through the mediation or through the mouth of prophet Moses. Moses and Yeshua are not contrary to one another. They're not. When I explained Matthew 5:17 through 19 one time on an internet forum, one man told me, well, go ahead, Matthew, and follow your master, Moses. As though Moses taught anything contrary to Yeshua or Yeshua taught anything contrary to Moses. He did not. Following Moses means believing in and following the teachings of Yeshua. Matthew five seventeen through 19. And isn't that what the word Christian means anyway? Doesn't Christian mean a follower of the Christ? Are you a follower of the Messiah? Are you? You know, I've always been taught from childhood that I was supposed to follow Christ. Do what he did, people said. Always make sure to follow his example. Well, I do not understand how that when we follow our Messiah and do exactly what he did and follow his example in being obedient to Yahweh's law, I don't understand why people then don't want you to follow the Messiah anymore. It all of a sudden becomes taboo. To keep the commandments. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Yeshua taught his listeners, his followers, to not even think that he came to destroy the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill. I'm not going to deal with that text in detail again, but I want to say that just about every person I've ever met that believes in the validity of the Torah today will use this verse in their defense, and they will state firmly that Yeshua did not come to destroy the law, and that not one jot or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished, as verse 18 says. After this, though, comes the inconsistency. And I don't just want to use this broadcast to teach people that do not believe in the ongoing validity of the Torah, but I also want to end this broadcast by teaching people that believe in the validity of the Torah but are inconsistent in their teaching. They do not go all the way with the Torah. What I mean is that when you ask people, those that claim to believe in the Torah even, if certain laws like the ceremonial law has been done away with, they will answer, yes, that law has been done away with. Now, if this is correct, that the ceremonial law has been done away with, or any law that they want to put up under that word ceremonial, which is really a catch-all eliminator, if you ask me, Whenever somebody does not want to obey a law, they'll place it under the category of ceremonial, and they'll say, well, we don't have to keep the ceremonial law. Well, if that's correct, then, I want to ask you, how could Yeshua have said not one jot or stroke? 
will pass until heaven and earth pass away. There is many laws in Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Deuteronomy, many laws that we could classify under the heading of ceremonial law. They're much more than jots and strokes. How could Yeshua say he did not come to do away with the smallest letter or even the smallest stroke of a letter? If any of the law has been done away with. Was he only talking about not destroying some of the law? Did he destroy certain portions of the law but confirm others? Most of the time this is the response I get. Well, Matthew, Yeshua is speaking of the moral law of God. He is saying that he didn't come to destroy the moral law. Well, that sounds good on the surface, but it is not correct. Yeshua is talking about much more than the moral law as found in the Ten Commandments. The reason I know this is from continuing to read the context of his saying. When I continue to look at Matthew chapter 5, specifically in verses 21 through 24. Now, keep in mind, Yeshua just got through saying that he didn't come to destroy the law. And that not one jot or stroke would pass from the law. The first law he deals with after his very strong statements in favor of the Torah is the law against murder. He states that they had heard it said of old, Matthew 5, 21, beginning at verse 21, do not murder. He then goes on to say, but I say unto you, and his point is not to do away with the sixth commandment here. It's not like he's replacing what was said of old with what he's saying now. No, no. He's specifically dealing with how the scribes and the Pharisees interpreted the law. Look back to Matthew 5, verse 20, where Yeshua says, Unless your righteousness goes beyond the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Yeshua then goes on in the remainder of Matthew 5 to compare the scribes and Pharisees' interpretation of the law with his interpretation. And his is obviously the correct interpretation. So in this case, they were quoting the law, Do not murder. The scribes and Pharisees were quoting that law but then they were teaching that the commandment only applied to the physical act of murdering somebody. But Yeshua explained, beginning at Matthew 5.21, that murder could also be committed in the heart of a man. There is an application in the letter of the law, but it goes deeper than that. There is also an application in the spirit of the law. Now, there are some who believe that Yeshua was setting a higher standard raising the bar, so to speak. They use an Old Testament prophecy where it talks about that the Messiah would magnify the law. I've heard many Torah observers say the law of Moses said don't commit adultery, but the law of Messiah raises the bar. Don't commit it in your heart. The law of Moses said don't murder, but the law of Messiah raises the bar. It says don't commit it in your heart. That is murder. That's not what Yeshua is saying. Yeshua is not saying that. Yeshua did not add to or take away from Yahweh's law. Had he done so, he would be violating Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, where it says, Do not add to nor take away from this Torah. Now, it was just as much of a sin to hate in your heart or to commit adultery in your heart back in the days of Moses as it was in the days of Yeshua. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 17, where it says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Or Exodus 20, verse 17, where it says, Do not covet your neighbor's wife. See, Yeshua was simply correcting the various misinterpretations of the Torah in his day. The scribes and Pharisees were limiting 
murder to physical murder. The scribes and Pharisees were limiting adultery to physical adultery. Yeshua wasn't raising the bar. He was getting back to the purity of the standard of Yahweh's morality, Yahweh's law. Now, next, Yeshua says that if a person says to someone they hate, Raka, they will have to go before the Sanhedrin. Once again, this is in Matthew 5, 21 through 24. Now, Raka is an Aramaic word that has been transliterated into Greek and then into our English Bibles. One who uses such speech is in danger of the council, King James Version says, or the Sanhedrin, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says. When you say Raka to someone, basically you're calling them an empty-headed fool or a moron. And if you hate your brother in your heart and you speak that speech to your brother, you will be in danger, Yeshua the Messiah says, of going before the Sanhedrin, or the council, King James Version. Now this council of the Sanhedrin was the supreme council amongst the Judahite people in Yeshua's day. It consisted of about 70 or 71 members, and it was patterned after the 70 elders of Moses in Exodus 24, 1 and 9. This was basically a Judahite court of justice in Jerusalem. And Yeshua recognized its authority to punish those who committed evil. This would be what we would call the judicial or civil law. The law that had to do with the execution of righteous judgments upon the lawbreakers of the land. So right away we see that Yeshua, when he says back in verse 17 through 19, listen, don't think that I came to destroy the law. He's not just talking about the Ten Commandments or the moral law. He's also talking about the judicial law or the civil law. The law of restitution, whether it's paying something back or capital punishment, capital restitution, being put to death. He's got to be talking about that because he mentions that if you say raka to your brother, you're in danger of going before the Sanhedrin which executed the civil judgments, the penal sanctions of the law. Now, what about the ceremonial law? What about the sacrifices? What about all that? Has that been done away with? Did Yeshua have the ceremonial law in mind when he said, I didn't come to destroy the law? Or, or was he just talking about the moral and the civil? And he really did come to destroy the ceremonial. Is that what Yeshua is saying? Let's continue to read Matthew 5. We've read 21 through 22 or commented on it. Let's read verses 23 through 24. He says this, So, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. When Yeshua speaks here of offering your gift on the altar, he's speaking of a sacrifice, oftentimes an animal sacrifice. For instance, Hebrews 8, 3-4 speaks of the gifts offered by a priest. Hebrews 9, 9 and Hebrews eleven four also speak of animal sacrifices as gifts. Now the point that I'm laboring to show is this. When Yeshua said he did not come to destroy the law but rather to fulfill and that not one jot or stroke would pass from the law until heaven and earth passed away, he was speaking of the entire Torah. That included the moral law, the civil law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial parts of the Torah. Now this might be the very first time you've ever heard this. I remember the first time I thought about it being a possibility. At first I thought, no way. And then I would later think, but it has to be. 
And I struggled with it for a while. For several years I struggled with it. But I finally come to trust the words of my master. And I finally quit thinking that he came to do away with even the jots and the strokes of the Torah. If we're really going to believe in Yeshua, then we need to believe in what he taught. And he taught us not to think that he came to do away with the Father's law. Now, I know you're thinking, well, what about what Paul said over here or Peter said over here? What about Galatians or Ephesians or Colossians? What about these texts of Scripture? I'll get to those. But before you educate to reading the epistles of Paul, you need to make sure that you understand the words of your master. Remember, Paul was an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah. Paul did not have the authority to teach anything contrary to what Yeshua, the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, had taught. And Yeshua did not have the authority to teach anything other than what Yahweh taught in the Torah. Preachers, if you're listening to me, quit teaching it. Read Matthew 5, 17-19. You'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't even believe you'll make it there based upon verse 20. Because he says, unless your righteousness goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't, will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. My heart's going out to you. You've got to be with Yeshua on this. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.